the anxiety you feel when you're dying, because I was dead when I got to hospital, but they revived me. I don't know how, but spiritually, I think maybe I was given another chance because here I am doing what I do now. Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on, people? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. My name is Aaron, and as always, I am the host of the show. So one of the things as the host of this show that I really try and do is be an advocate for people who don't have a voice. I sincerely want to try and help as many people as possible in this movement. And I also want to give people a platform to maybe share their stories, to give other people the strength, the hope, and the resilience to overcome what they're going through in their lives. And that was one of the main reasons I really wanted to bring on Nick Davis to today's episode. So I've known Nick for a few years now and I've seen the work that he's been doing. And it's so incredible to see somebody who comes from a place of authenticity and comes from a place of wanting to make a difference, operate in something that I, as I say many times in this episode, have mixed connotations towards. You see, perception plays a huge part in today's society. We often judge people and compare ourselves so many times with people's perception of their success or what they choose to show us. And that is a very, very dangerous game. And with NLP, something that many people are now starting to use for the wrong reasons. You see, NLP, if used to help you with PTSD, with trauma, with anxiety, with stress, which is some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about in this episode today, I think it's fantastic. I think it's something that is necessary. However, NLP in the wrong hands, then we start to border on manipulation. And as many of you may or may not know, manipulation is basically influencing somebody's thoughts or actions for their own personal gain. Now, that just doesn't sit right with me, as I mentioned in this episode. And operating in the property industry, which is pretty much my main job, I see it so often and I hate people being taken advantage of. I hate people being gaslighted. I hate people thinking it's their fault when all that they're doing is being put into a suggestive state where they are now no longer fully in control of their mind and their thoughts and their decisions and therefore making the wrong choices. And I don't want you guys to make the wrong choices or at the very least, I want you to have the full picture. So hopefully this episode will give you at least a bit more understanding in terms of is this person who's now speaking to me thinking about my best interests or are they thinking about themselves? Because I want to protect you. I don't want you all to go through the same mistakes and same sort of trauma that I've been through very recently. And again, that's a story for another day. But let's move on to this incredible episode. I urge you all to check out the YouTube videos. I spent a lot of time editing them, rendering them, just to give you guys the concise information. Because some of you may not want to hear the whole hour of this episode. Some of you may just want a nine-minute tool that you can do on a daily basis that will instantly relieve you of overwhelm. In fact, the nine minutes has two separate protocols, two separate techniques that you can instantly do. So if you don't like the one, try the second one. I've tried them both, as some of you may have seen on the Black Country Blokes podcast, and I promise you they work. And for somebody who is almost crippled with anxiety on a daily basis, I can't explain how important it is. So without further ado, let's get this interview 
on the way. Firstly, welcome to the show. How are we doing today? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You know, it's, I love to talk about what I do and uh, share the message with anybody. You know, it's been half my life studying this kind of stuff. So Fantastic. Just on that, actually, it has actually been a long part of your life. I think, was it 2006 you started? Well, oh, I, I discovered NLP in the mid-90s when I worked at BT. I used to be a manager at BT, ended up being national project manager. And I went on a training course and then somebody introduced me when they were doing the training to NLP and how it influences people. And I remember sitting back in my chair going, hmm, this is interesting. How to get more out of my team and how to influence people without them knowing. So roughly about 1996, I discovered Tony Robbins, Richard Bandler, John Grinder, and I started to study their stuff slowly. And it was only in the year 2000, I actually collapsed. I was basically working 60, 70 hour weeks. It was crazy. Moving house, splitting up with my girlfriend. Got gazumped on the house I was moving to, so ended up moving with my parents and collapsed. Anyway, the next day I woke up with um, anxiety, panic attacks, went through depression and everything else. I went for counselling and CBT. It didn't work for me at all. It basically got me to question everything and it, it hit my self-esteem as well. So I was left in a very difficult position after 30 sessions of counselling that I had to fix myself. So I sat in the library every single evening. I even had to go back to work with anxiety. It was awful. I studied NLP, I studied psychotherapy, I studied human behavior, studied hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Uh, and I basically studied the Warwick University psychology uh, reading list as well. So I read all sorts about Freud and Carl Gustaf Jung and uh, Carl Rogers, who created person-centered counseling and things like that. And I found out what worked, what didn't work, tested it on myself and healed myself over a long period of time. And then in 2006, as you're rightly saying, somebody said to me, you've been doing this for a long time. Why don't you do it professionally? And that's when I did my exams in 2006 and then went full time straight away. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. So it was actually prior to 2006 then you had probably done a lot more work than what I see people doing now who are instant yeah. experts. So I've seen people come off two week courses and then instantly they're an NLP expert and they're coaches and they're, they're selling stuff. So it's nice to obviously know that you actually dedicated a large proportion of your life for this, but you've also- 25 years. Absolutely, 25 years, but you've come into it from being somebody who many of the listeners, including myself, can probably resonate with the panic attacks, yeah. the anxiety attacks, and yeah. having to go back to work. When you said that, that for me is something I've had to live with. I'm sure many people listening right now can resonate with that. It's, it's so difficult. And just for anyone who may have just stumbled across this episode, for example, or this show and just coming across this and thinking, yeah. what the hell is a panic attack or what is anxiety? Could you maybe just take us back to that moment when you were struggling and just your feelings, your thoughts? Because I, I know what it's like, but I'd love to hear from yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very big difference between anxiety and panic and people get the two mixed up. But like I said, I've spent you know, half my life studying this kind of stuff. So anxiety is a fear of the future. So it's a future-based emotion where you're worried about something. It could be an exam. It could be you've upset somebody and you're worried about the next time you meet them. And generally what will happen is it will mean an increase in heart rate. You'll perspire. Your thoughts will be going really, really quickly. And generally what happens is your body dumps uh, adrenaline into your muscles to prepare you for fight, flight, freeze, appease, or faint. And this is what a lot of people don't realize is it uh, pumps noradrenaline into your brain. So it makes your eyes widen, uh, makes your ears sensitive to everything. And that's what creates the brain 
going over and over stuff again and again and again. So that's anxiety and that can be debilitating, but a panic attack is the next level. So just to put things into perspective of what a panic attack is. So when I was a kid, I used to do a bit of boxing and used to train at a boxing club that doesn't exist anymore now, called Tyler Boxing Club. And I used to get myself, because I got bullied as a kid, so I kind of taught myself to fight back in this, that and the other. Anyway, one evening when I was a teenager, I got into a fight with a couple of skinheads and I got stabbed. Not just stabbed, uh, slashed or anything, I got stabbed in the heart. So I got stabbed in the right ventricle. I got stabbed in the back as well. Now, the right ventricle part of your heart is where the blood comes in and then it's moved to the other chambers to oxygenate before it can go back out into the body. However, when you get stabbed in the right ventricle, what happens is the blood goes into the heart wall and it gives you a heart attack and it crushes your, your heart. And so basically you've got three minutes to live and you're just living off your brain. It took them 25 minutes to get me to hospital and I had no heartbeat, no pulse, no blood pressure. The anxiety you feel when you're dying, because I was dead when I got to hospital, but they revived me. I don't know how, but spiritually, I think maybe I, I was given another chance because here I am doing what I do now. But the fear that you feel before death is massive. However, you go into this really, really peaceful sleep, and I just wanted to go to sleep, and the sleep was the best sleep I'd ever had. But if I, if I rate that anxiety level as a 10 when I was going to die, and you panic and you've got all this blood and it's it's not red blood because it's not, got no oxygen in it it's a very dark purple it's very thick so it was pouring over my hands over my chest i didn't know what it was and then i realized what it was so if i say that's a 10 out of 10 panic attacks is the feeling that you're going to die several times a day so what would happen is i'd sit at bt and then my head would go dizzy my heart would start to race i'm going to am i going to pass out i'm going to die i've got a brain tumor i've got this all these thoughts racing and I said panic attacks were worse than getting stabbed. Because getting stabbed, at least I went into this sleep and I'd have died or survived. I ended up surviving. But panic attacks, so I used to have six to eight every single day. And I used to have to hide them. Even though inside I wanted to run out the room, I wanted to escape. It was They're horrific, they're evil. And everybody I know that's had a panic attack can understand the severity. And that's why anxiety attacks are different to panic attacks. Panic attacks, you think you're going to die immediately. And it's the most horrible, horrible thing. I feel for anybody who's ever had a panic attack. It's horrific. So I've just learned something new there myself. So I've suffered with anxiety attacks. And I don't yeah. think now I've had a panic attack, God forbid, because I don't even, I can't even comprehend what that must feel like. So for anyone who's going through that, it's obviously a serious issue. And you just mentioned very briefly towards the end of that, uh, you've got techniques for it now. Is this the blast technique that you have done or is it something different? Yeah, there's a, the, the, well, I've, I've got the blast technique. The blast technique is more geared for um, treating things that have happened into your past. So just let me just make a, a point here about anxiety. If you've got anxiety, it's a precursor to panic. So just be, be aware of that. So what I would say is learn to get it treated and learn to deal with it because if you don't, eventually you'll get a panic attack and that's when it's really, really difficult to come back. If you're just in the anxiety stage, please listen to everything I've got for you today because we'll pull you out of that because it's not a great place to live. I can still get anxiety and panic attacks if I push myself too hard. And it's about learning to use your resources properly instead of abusing your body and your mind by pushing it too hard. That's interesting. And I just want to ask something on that as well now. So tips for anxiety. Obviously, it's a question and it it requires a lot of work, a lot of self-work. I've been working on it so hard for the last... I don't know, seven, eight years myself. I'm still not there, but that's probably because I haven't used experts like yourself as much as I probably should have. Are there things that you can maybe give people who are listening now in this very short episode just to walk away with and start implementing on a daily basis 
just to either be mindful of or just to implement to help them move forward? Yeah. So I've created something called the Lima Protocol. Uh, and what I say is this is the most important thing to do. Basically, anxiety um, is, let's, let's imagine it's a small gremlin. It's like a five-year-old kid comes up, kicks you in the shins. And if that happened, you'd smile and go, oh, it's my five-year-old cousin and the son, my nephew, whatever. Um, you smile. So that's just a little bit of anxiety that we all laugh about. And we all, we all get it. You know, it's a little bit. Now, if you fight it or you keep pushing yourself harder and harder, it grows. It grows. It grows until it's bigger than you. And you're actually fighting with yourself in anxiety. But the issue with, with anxiety is never fight it. Never fight it at all. You have to relax with it. So as soon as you feel anxious, the first thing you need to do is to imagine it's a five-year-old gremlin and it can't kill you. You know, I remember at one point saying, looking up to the sky and one of my worst panic attacks, and I went, there is a God up there. Just kill me now. Kill me. Take me. I didn't know. You know, you've got to think I was having panic attacks for 18 months. And then this peace passed. And I was like, ah, it can't kill me. But you don't believe that at the time. So I had to do with the stuff. So the first thing is with the Lima protocol is the first thing you have to do is loosen your muscles and be lazy. So if you're feeling anxious, the first thing you do is sit back in your chair and just lays let your body go floppy the worst thing you can do is run out the room and tense because what happens every time you pay attention to it or you try and fight it it gets bigger and the bit and the biggest it can get is into panic and that's where it's really difficult well it's near nigh impossible to fight you shouldn't fight with it anyway so loosen your muscles be lazy so change your posture don't put any tension don't lean forward sit back relax that's the first one i is to inhale diaphragmatically and that's when you breathe, is pushing your stomach out and breathing into the bottom of your lungs. And then when you breathe out, just sigh. So go. Because <sighs> what happens is when we have a, um, a threatening situation, we activate our sympathetic nervous system. So breathing is very short. <sighs> we get adrenaline into our muscles, noradrenaline into our brain and cortisol. And then what happens that prepares us fight, flight, freeze, appease or faint. Now, when the danger is gone, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where we go. <sighs> so we can artificially create that by doing diaphragmatic breathing, breathing into the bottom of the lungs, pushing your stomach out, not moving your shoulders or your chest. And when you breathe out, just <sighs> that sigh. So that's the I. The, the next thing for the Lima protocol is the M, where you meditate on a point on the wall. The candle is, is best because we're drawn to fire. Our un unconscious mind, our limbic system is drawn to fire because prehistorically and, you know, um, when we were kind of brought up our ancestors, we knew that fire was a great tool to cook food. It would keep us warm and we could use it to fend off enemies. So unconsciously, we're drawn to fire. And that's why when, you know, we're talking about unconscious influence, when you see the colours red, orange and yellow, especially all those mixed together, which represent fire, we're drawn to them straight away. Red is danger, red is sex. It's all limbic system stuff. So we're drawn to those things. So this is why a candle is really good. So focus on the candle or a point on the wall. <clears throat> and then what you do is you, um, you just do your breathing, relax, and wait till your peripheral vision blurs. Now, when your peripheral vision blurs, it means that your brain has moved from beta waves, which is what I'm doing, I'm in now talking about what I'm thinking about, to alpha waves. And alpha waves are where we are in a state of eyes open trance, we're nice and relaxed, uh, and the brain is calm. Now, people who use affirmations, affirmations do not work. 
unless you're in the alpha state. And this is one thing, because I know people, I used to do affirmations say millions of times and you know, over a 10 year period or whatever else and wonder why they didn't work and why they didn't feel any better. Because your brain won't accept suggestions until you're in that alpha state. So when you're in that meditative state, so you've loosened, you're lazy, you're doing your inhale diaphragmatic breathing, you're meditating on the candle or the point on the wall, you've got it blurry, the A is for your affirmations. Now, if it's anxiety that you've got, you need to say these words to yourself in your mind. I'm safe, I'm calm, I'm relaxed. They're really, really important for anxiety or panic. I'm safe, calm and relaxed. And then you can add in other phrases like I've been here before, or I've got through it. It's just anxiety or whatever else, but I'm safe, I'm calm and relaxed. And then do that until it passes, stay really, really relaxed and then move on and distract yourself and go on to the next job. I recommend doing that several times a day uh, as a meditative exercise if you do struggle with anxiety. It's very, very healthy for the brain. Fantastic. So I've taken some notes here. Have you got that in documentation or is that on your website or anywhere? Yes, I'll, um, I've got a really good resource. Um, I've written loads, done loads of videos, hundreds and hundreds of videos, newsletters. Because one of the things I do is basically I'm not the cheapest around because of my level, because I've been in the media in 45 magazines and newspapers in the last 14 months. I've been on the radio five times. This is my sixth podcast and stuff. So because of my level of expertise, I run a training school. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I'm not the cheapest. So what I do is I've created a free resource for people so that people who can't afford my services can just have, and there is quality in there. Honestly, if, you, if you're clever, go through all of that. So it's www.ndhypnotherapy.wordpress.com. But it's a treasure trove of stuff to do with stress, anxiety, NLP, hypnosis, mental health, law of attraction, an absolute treasure trove of free stuff available for anybody or anywhere across the world. Thank you. I love that. And um, you've actually done the Lima with myself previously. I think we did it on the Black Country Blocks podcast as well. Yeah. And you did another technique, a tapping protocol. The tapping one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so this is for more so. Um, so if you're, if you're more on the end of anxiety, use the Lima protocol. If you're stressed, uh, a little bit frustrated, or you've got low mood, this is designed for that. Now, what we found is that um, anxiety, stress, and things like that, Basically, the right hemisphere of the brain is very, very active. We've showed um, under functional magnetic resonance imaging uh, scans. So we found that when we um, uh, have bilateral stimulation, and BLAST stands for bilateral analysis and stimulation treatment. So the BLAST technique is when I work with clients and they deal with anything from, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, assault, rape, car accidents, people who've been in the Gulf War, seen horrible things, they come into my office and I use a light pen we stimulate the brain with a light pen and, and there's a lot more to it there's a lot more steps but within minutes i can heal people and um, help them process past traumas and ptsd so <clears throat> this is a blast self-care protocol it, it's um, a, um it stimulates both hemispheres of the brain to reduce things like mild anxiety stress frustration a low mood and things like that and this is why what people don't realize is when you walk when you run when you box and you're using both sides of your body it helps calm the brain but this is a really quick way of doing it because most of the brain nerve endings are from the top of your forehead down to the top of your chest and this is why i'm not a big fan of eft or tft because it's that tapping on your hands here uh, and when you're at the periphery of those things they don't access the hemispheres of your brain as strongly so i'll just through the we'll run through the protocol um and if you go to my website i can send you a handout from it or i can send it to you aaron and, and share it on here 
Um, so what you do is the first thing is you ask yourself, how strong are the feelings you're experiencing between naught, which is no feelings at all, and 10, the worst you can ever imagine? And give yourself a scale there. And this is just so we can measure it afterwards. So the first thing we do is we get the number and then we sit back in the chair and we allow the feelings in. And the first thing we do is we tap either side of our, above our eyebrows and we do that 10 times either side whilst thinking about and allowing those feelings in. The next thing we do is we tap on the cheekbones. 10 times either side. And then we tap on the uh, side of the chin either side. 10 times, and then we cross our arms over and then tap on the collarbone. So like I say, these are the major clusters of nerve endings from both hemispheres of your brain. And that's why we target these areas. So once we've done 10 either side on all of those, then what we do, we put our hands on the lap and then we move our eyes uh, so I'm not sure which way this is around, but this is my left at the moment. We move once to the left, keeping our head still, once to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left. We do that 10 times either side, and then we take a nice deep breath in. And in your mind, just say to yourself, I'm okay. Breathe out, and then just see how you feel between 0 and 10. And the number should have gone down. Now, if it's not gone down as much as you want, keep repeating that process again and again and again. Like I say, you don't want to be using this for panic or severe anxiety. You want to be using the Lima protocol. But when it's milder anxiety, stress, frustration, low mood, this is great. Just keep going through it. And it's a free tool that I've given out there. Like I say, I like to support people for free. Um, it, it, you know, I don't give to charity because I'm, I'm not a big fan of charities because uh, they only need to give 25% to the actual people that want the money. So there's a lot of people getting rich off things like that. So the way I give to charity is to do work for free and give things out for free to people, which, you know, helps people properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that. That's obviously two amazing techniques, both of which I've done. It's probably something that I need to discipline myself more in terms of making it a habit. It's one of those things, you know, yeah. you know what you should be doing, but we're not always doing it. So conscious that my listeners may be doing the same. So what I might do is just take that little segment out and put it on the YouTube and then I'll put yeah. it on the Instagram as well. I think that's really yeah. useful. And I love that thing about you where you have a free resource to help people with your stuff that can't get access to it. And that's kind of similar to yeah. myself. And this is why I resonate with yourself. So how I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've got mixed connotations towards NLP because I've seen the damage yeah. that it's doing in the property industry. And one of the things I do in the property industry is I am an open book. I will tell you the good and I will tell you the bad. I have no problem. In fact, I probably tell you more bad than I tell you good because that's literally the way it works. I do the yeah, same yeah. with podcasting, personal training. I have free gym plans. If anyone needs a free gym plan, I'll give it free because I want to see people who can't get access to resources or maybe struggled because I've been in that situation to have that access. Yeah. Hence why I want to yeah. be an advocate for as many people. But at the same time, there's certain levels of stuff that you know you warrant your fee for. Hence your amazing expertise so thank you for that resource i'll again grab it at the end and i will put it in the show notes from you nick so thank you for doing that so touching on that then nlp is used in a manipulation manner so often in in the property industry an industry that i work in and also in sales as well and if we just look at the definition of manipulation you're effectively influencing somebody's emotions or behaviors for your own personal gain and that for me yeah. it just doesn't sit with me i mean i understand we will have to make a living we will have to sell We'll have to earn money as we're moving forward. But 
if you're not being completely honest and you're trying to almost put them in a suggestive state, I'm not sure if that's the right terminology in terms of making yeah. a transaction when you know that that person's not necessarily in the right frame of mind to do that. It just doesn't sit with me. And being an advocate for people who don't have a voice, it's great to have someone like yourself on the show. Are there any ways or is there any, I don't even know the right words for it, clues or anything that you might be able to say, actually that person's using NRP in a manipulative manner or Maybe just some suggestions that we should just be careful of. Yeah, I mean, it's not just NLP, you know, it's it's the whole field of influence. I think, you know, I, I'm trained in hypnosis, hypnotherapy, NLP, and lo- lots and lots of different things. And, you know, I've done uh, 52 stage shows, the bit where you, I click my fingers and people go to sleep and, you know, they run around like chickens. Or something, you know. <laughs> wow. I've taken all those videos down because now I specialize in trauma and PTSD. Well, I always have, you know, over the last 12 years. And people couldn't make the difference because I'm a very safe hypnotist. You know, I know that what can go wrong and I always make people feel fantastic when they've been on my stage shows. In fact, the last stage show I did was two years ago at Warwick University. And as part of the end of the show, what I did is I hypnotized all of the students and made them uh, be able to regain inf- uh, retain information better, be more confident about their exams and, and absolutely wow. smash things. And they loved it. And even the course tutor was saying... Can you not come back and do that? You know, <laughs> the students. I said, yeah, but you know, it does cost. The university has to pay for this. You know, I'm not, I'm not fussed about the students because they haven't got much money, but the university should be paying. Um, but jokes aside, you know, when somebody said to me, <clears throat> and they've watched me go up to somebody in the crowd and just go look into my eyes, and then I've grabbed them and gone sleep, and that person has gone straight into a hypnotic deep trance. <clears throat> and then done everything I've told them to do. You know, right, sit on the chair. The chair feels like it's really, really hot. You're going to jump up in a minute, and they've jumped on. People are like, wow. You know, when you have that kind of power, and with NLP, the ability to use your language to influence people, to put them into certain states, what they call the buy-in state. And there's a really good book. Um, it's basically The uh, Psychology of Persuasion, Dr. Robert Cialdini. And there are certain things that we're hardwired to do. So what I say to people is I have a lot of skills that are very strong and very powerful and somebody said to me oh you know could you rob a bank with that i said probably you know just as a joke you know one of the things that i did at the gym that um, i'm very good friends with the manager is i hypnotized one of the trainers who worked on reception and i hypnotized him to get in free and then when he when he woke up and realized i'd got in he came to chase me i hypnotized him again and then told him that the manager was jean-claude van damme and how had he got in the gym I've got a video of it I can I can share. I've, t- I've took them all down now. But he's even the manager is going, what is, what's going on with this? So people often say, you know, um, you know, you've got all these skills and this powerful stuff, which, you know, other people have across the world and this, that and the other. But I say, look, having these skills doesn't make you a bad person. And the metaphor he uses is we've all got a drawer full of kitchen knives. And when I pull my kitchen knives out, I use it to chop meat fruit and vegetables however there are some bad evil people in the world that will choose to use those kitchen knives for harm and for bad so what i say to people is learning these things doesn't make you a bad person you're a bad person already so what i tend to find is the people who are drawn to this you tend to find narcissistic type characters people who are fairly insecure so they have to have a very outrageous personality you know uh, the cars the clothes the the statements, the way they tell, you know, say things. Um, but when you analyze them as a, as a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist, these people are very, very insecure 
and it's it's almost like they're standing on a sugar pedestal that melts in the rain and they have to maintain this facade because there's nothing behind it it's like the wizard of oz it's just a little guy hiding behind a screen with a loud voice they're very insecure characters so as a rule of thumb what i say to people is and you don't need to learn hypnosis and nlp to be a bad person you know i know uh, i know of you know i've got a few friends in the police and they'll tell me of like confidence tricks tricksters to you know rip old ladies off and burgle or you know uh, you know steal people's purses and wallets and things like that and they use a set of techniques and they don't know how they're doing it so nlp per se doesn't make you bad but you have to be bad already in order to study those things so as, as a rule of thumb if it's too good to be true it probably is if it seems too good to be true it probably is and when we spoke about the fitness industry and an ex of mine that you know used to say what's this advert it said seven second abs and she said to me listen if you think you can get abs in seven seconds but they they did something like uh 30 million sales or something like that in america or whatever you know for an you know for a video that doesn't work for 99.99999 percent people so so it's that thing if it seems too good to be true that's when you want to take a step back and engage the cortex part of your brain because your limbic system a wants to survive so what people do is they use fear as a motivation so i'd say to you aaron if you don't go on my course for uh learning how learning nlp then you're going to be financially worse off your friends are going to look at you and think you haven't learned this you're you're outside of the crowd so create that fear that you're going to be worse off and that's one of the first things they do so our limbic system goes what i'm going to be worse off i'm going to be out there. i thought i was okay so so you start to second guess yourself and then what they do so they they work with them in nlp we call it moving away from pain so they give you the pain they give you all the pain first if you don't study it this is the pain you're going to experience. And then what they do is they give you the solution to getting away from that pain, which is what we call moving towards pleasure. Now, if you do this product, if you use this product, not only will it gain you more friends, not only will it make you more handsome and get seven second abs and be a millionaire and be the envy of all your friends. And you're like, what? This is amazing. So there's two things they do. There's the law of scarcity, uh, the law of authority, social proof, and reciprocations the law of reciprocation is interesting because what they do is if you give somebody something they if i say to you and in fact i'll tell you the survey the survey basically was in the book what they did is they got people in and said i need your help to mark some uh, paintings in this um art gallery so the guy would sit there with them and mark the paintings but actually that wasn't the study that was a ruse so they wanted to know what difference it would make is if you gave something to that person when you came to sell some raffle tickets. So I'd sit with you and say, let's mark these paintings. And then at lunchtime, I go, hey, Aaron, I got you a can of pop. And you go, oh, thank you, or bottle of water, whatever else. So you drink it. In your mind, you go in, this guy's given me something. And then I'd say, I've got some raffle tickets for my son's uh, scout hurt. They're raising some money for a new scout hurt. Do you want to buy some tickets? And what they found, everybody had bought, been bought the can of pop, bought double the amount of tickets than the people who hadn't been bought the can of pop. So this is why people give away free stuff. So they, it's called the law of reciprocation. If I give you something, you're, you're likely to give me something back. Now, the caveat to that, which is not in this book, which I found out in life, is if you keep giving things to people, what happens is that they will expect that 
and that no longer works. In fact, it goes the other way. So when you keep giving stuff for free, and this is why kindness doesn't work in the world, and I was talking to a very good therapist friend of mine, is if you keep being kind to people, after the third time that you're kind to them, it becomes a habit, and then it's an expectation, and you'll get nothing back. In fact, not only will you get nothing back, but they'll start demanding that you give them more. And these are just little quirks in the brain that don't work. So it's, there's nothing wrong with being kind, but this is why you see people in relationships where you go, what did they put up with their partner? And it's because they've got into that thing where they think they're being kind, but actually they're being abused. Wow. So, so that last bit has just completely shot my world because, again, I, I explained why I give free stuff away because I, I always sympathise for people who don't have the resources. So for me, yeah. as long as I have enough money to pay my bills and food on the table and my wife's smiling, I don't care. And I'm giving yeah. constantly. Now I'm kind of thinking, oh my God, maybe I should charge a little bit at least, but... The other thing about giving is people don't add value to it. So one of the things I do, well, I used to, I used to do free seminars. So I do a seminar and go, listen, um, anybody who wants to uh, learn about stress, anxiety, and I do talks on mental health and stuff like that. And what I found is people wouldn't turn up. People don't attach value to things. So it's okay with my stuff that's online. It doesn't matter whether they use it or not because I'm not. my energy is not involved in that. It's, it's already been done. It's out there put hundreds of hours into it, it's done. So I can leave that for the people who are interested. But what I do for seminars now, instead of free, I say it's five pounds. Five pounds is nothing. You know, I charge like 300 to a thousand pounds for a seminar. So when they pay the five pounds, I know because they've shared that five pounds and it means something, even though it's small, I know they're going to turn up and I know they're going to actually listen to what I've got to say. Whereas, you know, I've done it before. I used to do free talks for like uh, sports clubs and things like that. And you'd see people going, and bear in mind, I've worked with GB several times, like GB Boxing. You know, I worked with the GB Boxer this week. And obviously Bob Kevstad, Bob Dylan, the GB Boxing coach. Worked with GB Ice Hockey, GB Pentathlon, GB Athletics. And I've had people want to do stuff for free going, oh, yeah, oh God, I've got to do this. Because they don't attribute value to it. But when I've charged a thousand pounds or whatever, People are like this with notes. And this is exactly the same seminar. So, you know, so what I would say is, you know, charge a nominal fee for something, you know, and make it accessible, but then people attach more to it. And the crazy thing is, is another law that um, people use in sales is the law of scarcity. So I'll say to you, right, you've got to come and learn my NLP, Aaron, but it's going to close in 24 hours. And then I put a clock, tick, tick. Tick. So you're going, I'm going to miss out. If I miss out on this, there might not be another NLP course. There's thousands and millions of NLP courses all over the planet. There's books all out. You can learn it on your own. Anyway, and the other thing as well, I say, the law of scarcity, not only that, Aaron, you've only got 24 hours or 12 hours. There's only two places left. What? Two? Can, can I get one of those places? It's nonsense. You know, if, if, you, want, if you want to... Um, if, if they had 10 people apply for that, they'll hire a bigger room. Oh, 100%. You know? 100%. To conclude with that, firstly, I'm going to start charging very, very soon. So anyone listening or watching, yeah. absolutely, you're getting a charge. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, like jokes aside, so I just want to quickly recap that if I may, Nick, because I'm making a couple yeah, of notes of there. So learning NLP doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. And, and I love that analogy about the knives as well. If you're already bad, then obviously combined with nlp that's that's a disaster waiting to happen you mentioned something and i put a star here and you talked about narcissistic people who have outrageous personalities these kind of extreme extroverts always 
chatting stuff that you're just thinking, how are you full of so, so much energy? And when I sit back and we've got a catfish video coming out very, very soon uh, for the Black Country Blokes podcast, that individual is that person. When you psychoanalyze it, and I learned this in my social work masters as well, there's insecurity there. There is something, there's a facade, there's a mask hidden. But at the same time, for somebody like myself, who's a natural introvert, who's quite shy and anxious, unless I really know you, I look at that and I'm sometimes thinking, wow, that's incredible. That's that's almost something that I wish I had. And sometimes we can no. pray to people like let that. Me, <clears throat> let me just stop you there and analyze your body language that you just did. So for me, I've got a lot of time for you, Aaron, because your body language is like this. So people are watching this video, just skip back a few seconds. When you watch Aaron talking there, his hands are here, here, here. There was symmetry between the two halves of your body. That is what we call complete congruence. So you are saying who you are and hands this. So when we're lying, you tend to get this. You get salespeople sit on one side. So I'm always skeptical because uh, and I'll go into this a bit deeper, but when somebody's um, lying to you, they tend to sit into one side because they want to show you one side of personality. So you there would just be completely congruent. I, I wouldn't even need to listen to what you say because I know it's truthful. The hands are matched. It's like a mirror on both sides and sat on the other. The salesman or somebody's lying to you. So if you said to me, Nick, um, can you pick us up for boxing training next week? And I'm, and I'm not going to. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, no worries. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Apologies for the swearing, but that's what I call the bullshit gesture. What they do is they show you one side of the body and then they uh, agree and acknowledge lots and lots of time really quickly. Yeah, 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 of course, of course, no worries. And they're back, they're things are batting your words away. As I know, nine times out of ten, that person's not going to turn up because they've done that. Whereas if I say, I don't really want to turn up, I'm going to go, Aaron, all right, I'll pick you up. So I'm showing that I'm tired. But uh, I'm resigned to it, but I'm going to turn up. So look for symmetry when people are talking. So what you tend to find is when people are making a point they don't believe in, one of their hands will move behind or won't be there. Unit politicians are forever doing this when they're lying. They do this um, where they squeeze their fingers together. One of the reasons is politicians used to point in the 70s and 60s and the 80s, and now they've learned that pointing doesn't work. But if you press your thumb and forefinger together... Um, and, and they're doing this and they're going, you know, we, we're committed to this. There's two things. One, it looks like you're holding a piece of paper. So unconsciously we think there's something important there. In fact, if you, if you want to um, seem important, just put a piece of paper in your hand and do this. Unconsciously, because you've got the paper in hand, this is an envelope. It's got nothing in it. And I'll go, Aaron, you need to listen to the facts with this. And then unconsciously you start to think, Without even knowing consciously, oh, this guy must know what he's talking about because there's that piece of paper in his hand. But consciously, you won't be aware. These are all, I could, you know, talk for a thousand hours about all the tips and tricks that people use. So getting back to personality. So firstly, what you want to look for is people who are sat there, nice and relaxed and symmetrical. You know, so when somebody's on one side, punching the air with one arm, it, it doesn't have to be always a lie, but... What I've generally found, and, and from my studies with Carl Gustav Jung, who was Freud's student, he said, whatever you say on the outside, to the extreme, the opposite is true. So if you see somebody, like I've, I have a friend who, uh, an old friend from years ago, I don't really stay in contact with now, but they were a singer and they would be the most powerful singer. Everybody would be there. They were amazing at getting a crowd together. But then I see them on their own in the kitchen crying, going, nobody loves me. And I'm like, this is crazy. And this is before I studied all this. And then I've met people who are 
massive muscles, tattoos, walking around like tend to be the kindest person I've ever met, you know, when you know them behind closed doors. So my rule of thumb is whatever you see on the outside to the extreme, the opposite is true on the inside. So also beware what I call babyface assassins. And these are the people that when I'm doing therapy, some people for want to go around and destroy therapists because they want the world to fit in with their jaundiced twisted view of the world so they try and and i love doing i love crossing swords with those people because i basically take them to task and then help them um get help but they can be very unpleasant people so baby face assassin is somebody that is very angry but if i came to you like that you'd know i was angry so what they do is they force their eyebrows up they talk quite high pitch because there's tension around the neck and they start to ego strengthen you. Hey, Aaron, you're the best person I've ever met. Can I come on your podcast? I'm going to be amazing, honestly. If this, I'm going to get you a million viewers, this, that and the other. And they come on the podcast and they start to criticise you and be horrible. And you're like, well, oh, that's the opposite to the person I was. So what, what we present to the world is what we call a persona. We all have a persona. So, you know, uh, we might talk in, um, you know, black country blokes together and have a laugh and a joke. But if we were in an interview, we might not have the same laugh and a joke because we have to put on that persona. Um, but hidden behind the persona, there's our shadows. And our shadows are the bad things about us that we don't like. Now, narcissists will not accept there's anything wrong with them. So what they will say is if they're accused of something, they'll say it's your fault or it's because of this, it's because of them. Whereas a normal person would go, yeah, yeah, I get sometimes I'm late and I something I need to address. I've got to work on that. And that's the best way to be because you can build a character and you can always improve. But narcissists never improve. All they do is they layer on another layer of that facade that's shinier, that's louder, that's this, that, and the other. If you have a product, you know, like my blast technique, I've kept it very quiet for 12 years. And now I've been asked to train it. I've trained it out in Holland. I'm going back to Holland uh, again this year. been asked to train it out in America and Canada and uh, Australia, which hopefully will come off. But one of the reasons it's not done so well is because um, as quickly, it's because I've kept quiet, I've kept humble, I've just let it do its work. It's probably the best technique out there. So look for those characters because you get more value from the characters where, and you'll get more more information and more quality from those people who are more humble, you know, uh, and more interested in the research. So, so be careful. When you see somebody shouting loud and being very visual, I always question it. What's behind this? Nick, I, I can honestly speak to you for hours. Firstly, I'm glad that when you analyze me then, <laughs> it was a good thing because again, I do a lot <laughs> of stuff <laughs> unconsciously. So I was a little bit worried because I was thinking yeah. you're making everyone go back and obviously listen to what I'm saying. So that's obviously a good point and, and I'm glad with that. There's two things I just want to point out on this now. So there's one question I want to ask you after this. So remind me, it's about gaslighting. If you could just elaborate oh, yeah. on that, that would be a really useful topic. I love whatever you see on the outside to the extreme is the opposite of the inside. Now, I do mentoring with a, a guy called Tom Bilyeu. He's an entrepreneur. He's from America. I'm on his yeah. university. Absolutely love the work he stands for. I love his values, his ethics, everything. Long story short, he mentions something and there's a book called Predictability Irrational by Dan O'Reilly. And effectively in this book, and I'm just going to try and summarize this without sounding so clumsy. He explains that everybody has this kind of image of ourselves. And effectively, for example, I could believe I'm a good person. And if I believe that, that's fine. But in this book, yeah. what, what Dan explains is that we can do certain things that are bad, essentially, but providing it's not too far from our truth, of us believing we're good people, it's okay. And we don't have to change the narrative about ourselves. 
However, mm. if I go and murder someone, then I know in my head I have to change that narrative. And actually, Aaron, you're not a good person. So what I'm seeing from a lot of these people is they genuinely believe this narcissistic person that they're doing good in the world. They're helping people. They're, they're moving people forward. But what they're doing at the same time is lying or manipulating the truth or taking money when they shouldn't be taking money and doing these little things that don't sit right with me or probably other people. But because it's yeah. only swerving so far from the narrative, not too much, that they're okay and they're moving forward. It was really interesting because... I spent hours and hours trying to understand why somebody can sleep at night doing the stuff that they do. But then I was just yeah, driving yeah. myself crazy, literally. So I don't know if, you've, if you well, can elaborate on that. Yeah, well, in, in my therapy work, I've pretty much treated nearly every character that you can imagine. And one thing, right, in my, you know, I can, I can say this, is whatever the person is, whether a murderer, a burglar, a narcissist, whatever, they don't know they're that person. What they think they're doing, they think is right. Every single person. So, and, and the thing is, is honestly, and you can interview people, and that's what interests me about the human condition, is even when people are doing bad things, they'll justify it. They'll justify why they did it. Um, and this is why it's important. And, and there is um, something that these, uh, we call them cognitive blind spots. So cognitive blind spots are things where, you're unaware that you're doing bad things. So for instance, with your property work, say you were, I don't know, building a property where you're in competition where there was going to be a school and you were like, no, no, the property is more important there than a school. You feel right, but the parents would be like, no, we need a school in this area. So you're not aware of it at the time. And then when you're made aware of it, what most normal people do is they go, ah, oh, right. And they so they do, but people with cognitive blind spots don't, aren't aware of the things that are doing wrong. And sometimes there's something called cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance is where you're given all the evidence to show that something is wrong or, or bad, and then you ignore it and stick with your original thoughts. And that's called cognitive dissonance. And you get that, you get a lot of that in, in narcissists. And the problem is, is we, we live in a society now over the last 50 years that is narcissistic you know more so than ever before it's like you know when i was at school and and there was one friend of mine that used to mess around all the time and they said to him you know you're not going to make a living out of being a clown whereas actually if he got a youtube channel nowadays <laughs> he'd have a million views he was a very funny guy and he'd prank everybody this and the other Nowadays, if he had a camera and he's pranking his mates, he'd be, you know, that'd be his career. So we live in very different times. So what I would say to people is being completely, having complete integrity, honesty, and being humble is not going to make you rich and, and also probably not going to make you a living. So what I say to people, and this is why I've done PR over the last 14 months, because I needed to move because there are people that are a lot less skilled or well-read than me doing four times as good and this, that, and the other. So I had to question things. Why have I been in the industry so long? And, I've, you know, I get great word of mouth and I've worked at some great levels and this, that, and the other, but I could have been a lot higher. So one of the things I've did is I engaged a couple of PR companies. I didn't like them because they oversell and under-deliver and they were giving me, in fact, you know, one of them I had to have words with because they were telling me things that weren't true. So I do all my own PR. Basically, I set myself up as a PR company and... I basically answer emails every day and write newsletters. Anyway, I didn't know, but apparently I've written 500 in the last year and I'm one of the top performing PR people in the UK in my first year. But this is graft. So what I do is I work really hard at everything I do. I read hard, I study hard, I train hard. 
I've been to the gym six days last week. I'm going five days this week and maybe six. So when I do something, I'm really obsessive. And I like that about myself because graft is going to get me through. But also what you need to do is you've got to do a bit of selling yourself. You have to sell yourself to let people know you're there. Because if people don't know I'm around, then there are millions of people around the globe that aren't going to get access to my therapy and the free stuff. So I need to put it out there. So all I do is I'm perfectly honest in what I do. But I've, I've shown that I haven't had to do this, you know, uh, you know, uh, psychology persuasion stuff to get my stuff out there. I've written very honest um, articles and I have 45 written, published in, you know, in Men's Health, in Cosmopolitan, in Glamour, in The Express. I wrote a brilliant article about Peaky Blinders and PTSD in The Express I was really proud of. And a two-page spread about what therapy to go for in Woman's Own last week. And this is pure graft. And there's another reason why you shouldn't aim to be a narcissist, because if you're a narcissist, and I know loads, they never improve their skills. Whereas me, I'm like, how do I get to where that person gets to? I've got to work harder. So if you think about it, in the last 14 months, I've trained myself to be not just a PR person, but one of the best in the UK in 14 months. I'm never going to lose that skill. So it's, it's great when you're humble and you work harder, but you have to sell yourself. So do something to make yourself work on your SEO work on um, interviewing some interesting characters, work on sharing some free stuff. And then don't just share free stuff, work on selling some cheap stuff, you know, a nominal fee, sell something for 10 pounds. that has got loads of quality in and then something a bit more because it's important to have different price ranges because some of them are premium stuff for doing training for companies. That's very expensive. Whereas you can go all the way down in prices to have like, I did a, a seminar for a friend I just charge a fiver and it was a quality seminar that normally you'd have to pay 75 pounds to get into each so it's about having that spectrum but get you've got to get your name out there i absolutely love that so one of the taglines in the intro of find your voice is to take control of your life and effectively what you recognize there was these pr companies they're not fitting my purpose but then using one of your strengths your graft you just went and took control yourself. Absolutely smashed it, by the way. And then went and take well, that, that forward. Can, can, I, can I just tell people that journey? Because that's really important. So I, I started um, November 2019. And I wrote every article. So I'd even write articles that were loosely uh, to do with me. You know. Anyway, so before Christmas, I wrote something like ridiculous, like 20 or 30 articles. Put them in. And zero feedback. So at Christmas, I'd had a few drinks, I'd come in and I had zero feedback. And I thought after six weeks or two months, whatever it was, um, I said, and I burst into tears, this is too hard. This PR, it's not for me. It's not for honest people. It's not for humble people. It's not for integrity. Anyway, as I was crying, the next day <laughs> I did the Google search and I've been published in Cosmopolitan, a worldwide top magazine. So what it shows is, you know, whenever you're grafting, if you're not seeing the results, just trust. Trust and keep moving forward. You've got to put 12 months in at least any new project. 12, and I was working seven-day weeks, 12 months of graft, but I wanted to show people like that because people see it as 14 months of me going, hey, look at me in all these magazines and this, that, and the other. It wasn't. It was a tough road, and it was hard like anything, but it was worthwhile. But I wanted to share that, that even I, with all my skills, can break down and, you know, have, you know have a meltdown thank you for sharing that i acknowledge your honesty with that because it's funny you mentioned graft because i always say my superpower is just the ability to work hard that's pretty much all i can do it's something i can control 
So I, I have the ability to control how many hours I work and stuff. So just knowing that in a long enough timeline, if I just increase my skill set, I can pretty much achieve whatever I want. So I love that. But persevering and writing 20 to 30 articles. Now, I write blogs, very, very short blogs, just my thoughts. And it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time, creativity. And sometimes if I get like two people listening to that, I get a bit disheartened because I'm like, that's the best piece I've ever written. Whereas I could just write something random off off a cuff and you get like 100 people engaging in it. So I would say to someone, if there is something you're truly passionate about, work on it. Like you said, 12 months minimum. Now you've come with 25 years of experience and you're struggling. So how do you expect to kind of instantly get it? But this again falls into the social media world that we live in. Whereas on Instagram, perception is a huge thing. But the thing is, if you've got to look at people like The Rock, Okay, I really like The Rock, all right? He's got a very, very tight with his family. Very nice guy. Very, very good work ethic. Very good. Now, if you've got work ethic and you're prepared to learn, they are the best superpowers you can have. I I know, you and I know, right, boxers that have very great skill that failed because they didn't have the work ethic. We also know boxers that have a massive work ethic and not skill have succeeded. So I actually think... You're actually better off to not have skills, but to pick them up along the way. So there's a few bits of advice I would give you. One, don't look for a return on your investment, at least for 12 months. Just know, because, you know, the problem is, is whatever you get. Now I've been in Men's Health, Cosmopolitan, The Express, uh, The Telegraph. I was in The Times Saturday. They're big ones. I want TV. I've always wanted TV. The next thing is TV. So whatever you achieve, you're going you're gonna to want for the next level. That's your human condition. And not only do I want TV, I want my own therapy show. So, you know, these are things that will happen because we're going to put the graft in. Um, so don't look for a return. You know, when the return comes, enjoy it, but move on. You know, because the more you celebrate and the more you enjoy all of that, the less, the more you're not moving. And the other thing is, is don't compete with anyone else. It's the worst thing you can do. You know, I was, I was competing years ago with people and then people would sail by me because they would lie and, you know, one guy in my industry, I mean, one guy's just been hounded and he's had to drop out of the industry because he told so many lies. And then there's another one who just lies and takes people's money. And now people are ganging up on him and this, that, and the other. I'm like, hey, that's cool. You do your thing, I'll do mine. I'm honest, I've got integrity, I give value for money, I give quality, and I'm going to be around for a long time. Those guys are flashing the pan. I love it. Also, your foundations, they're solid foundations. A lot of people's foundations yeah. today are built on perception. So effectively, what many of us might do is we pick up Instagram and we're competing with perception rather than actual substance yeah. and truth. You have to almost work with something, like you said, and not expect an ROI for it. And only yeah. then you'll really know, is that something that you really want? Because sometimes we feel like we want to do something because it looks like the next big thing. But if you're willing to do 20 or 30 articles, realize, hold on a minute, I've not got anything from it, but then you still keep going for it. That's true to something that you want to do. So that's something that I definitely urge listeners to take note of. Well, well, that's that's passion. And that's why you should never do a, you never go into a career that you're not passionate about. Because every article I write, I'm thinking, how's this going to land? Who's it going to help? So I'm writing the article to help people. And every time I do that, I know people pick it up. And now I'm getting people, and it's crazy. I'm no, no, I'm no different a person now than I was 14, excuse me, 14 months ago. However, now, because I'm in the newspapers and everything else, loads of people are following my WordPress. Loads of people are going, oh, your PR agency's, you know, I even <laughs> spoke to one of my best friends, goes, your it. PR agency's amazing. I said, I do it all myself. And then I told him how much work it is, like two to three hours a day. And I said, and that saves me a thousand pound a month because a thousand pound a month for PR. 
and they and even the PR agencies, both of them that I got advice off, said we could not have given you what you've given yourself over the last 12, 14 months. So it's about passion. So if you've got passion for what you do, you're not looking for a return. The returns will come. And all I would say is I, I learned this at BT. So we, we call it plan, do, review. So you plan what you're going to do, do it, really do it, become obsessive about it, and then review your success. If it hasn't hit, then you redo the plan at the beginning. So plan, do, review is really, really important for making a success of your life. Because I'm always tinkering with things like, you know, I, you know when I wasn't that popular, because people were saying, why is why are you doing such great work and working with such great people, yet you're not a kind of household name? And I said, oh, i just not known. So that's when I discovered PR. And I've done that now, and I will become a household name. And then, and, But the funny thing is, is what will happen is when that happens, people will go, hey, new kid on the block. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. 14 years of graft. Yeah. New kid on the block. Of course, of course. <laughs> or, or, the, or you'll get those supporters who were like, I always knew you were going to do it, who were yeah. just kind of watching yeah. you from the back end. <laughs> oh, I've had, I've had lots of those, lots of those. And they're normally the ones that slag me off at the beginning. And then they've turned around now going, I knew you'd make it. Absolutely. I knew you'd make it. But it's nice to know somebody, obviously as a friend yourself, who you know the full story. And this is why I wanted to get your story on here as well. Because sometimes I look at your stuff and... You've done stuff with us, as I mentioned previously on the podcast, that have instantly helped me. I've come home and I've said to the yeah. wife, when this episode comes out, you need to check it out. She suffers with anxiety as well. I wanted to bring you yeah. on to help our listeners. I think you've given probably more content in this hour, and I'm conscious of your time, that anyone's been able to give because all you've done here, try this technique, try this. Have you learned about this? Have you heard about this? So I'm very, very grateful. And I thank you obviously no, for doing that. Pleasure. But I do believe as well, once you suss out Instagram and the whole yeah. hashtagging and stuff as well, because sometimes I feel like jumping on your post and hashtagging for you because you're just not getting yeah. it out to as many people because your message is, is great. Whereas I'm yeah. seeing these fake entrepreneurs out there who are hashtagging and knowing how to play the system better, getting more followers than yeah. yourself. So hopefully this episode itself, I'm going to really try and digest on how I can bring this out to the audience in terms of giving yeah. the content, getting them to follow your stuff because... I, I talk about it a lot perception sometimes can lead us to the wrong kind of people and i want authentic people on here i've had to turn down people now similar thing to yourself because the podcast grew like this literally beyond my expectations now i'm getting people coming on that initially didn't even respond to my emails so when i was reaching out when in my first days when nobody knew who i was i was like hey i'm, I'm this anxious guy i want to talk about anxiety and stress and stuff yeah. not even a response now it's like they've seen posts where we've just hit hundred thousand as of this week and they're like Oh yeah, I'm I'm interested now. My my diary's freed up, and I'm like, well, unfortunately, mine hasn't. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd make it. Absolutely, it, <laughs> it's literally that. And I'm conscious of time because I, I don't know how many. I need to remind you about gaslighting. Let's jump on that first, then we'll go into the final bit. Yeah. So gaslighting is what narcissists do. It's from a film. Uh, the actual film, I think, was called Gaslight. Uh, I think it's Ingrid Bergman is in it, so it's worth looking up. Um, but gaslighting is where a narcissist will convince you that you're wrong, that you're crazy, uh, that the problem's with you. So what they do is they pick, 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 pick. So when you challenge them about the behavior, they throw it back on you and they pick, 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 pick and pick until you go, oh, I've had enough of this. And then they go, oh, who's the crazy one? And that, that's the reason it's like putting a match when they leave the gas on, they put the match to it, you explode, and they go, oh, they're crazy, they are, it's not me. And the other thing about a narcissist is a narcissist will be very, very charming, charismatic, and sickly sweet in public, but behind closed doors, the opposite is true. 
I love that. You've literally hit the nail on the head in some of my own personal experiences as well. Thank you for remembering that, Nick. We are running obviously out of time, conscious of your day. So I'm going to jump into the fun part of the show. So I haven't had a chance to really dive much into Nick, but I do obviously encourage everyone after this show to follow him, follow his story and stuff, because there is a lot more than just this guy who just continuously drops amazing information. And this is all free as well. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I want to go into Nick, the fun part of the show. So the fun part of the show is I'm going to ask you a whole array of random questions. Just one word answers or one sentence answers, mate, just to kind of give the listeners a, a taster of about who you are. And we're going to go in three, two, one. Okay, Nick, what is your proudest achievement? Uh, becoming a therapist. Who is your biggest role model? Conor McGregor and Tony Robbins. If you could get the listeners to do one thing after this show for the rest of 2020, what would it be? Oh, use Lima and the Blast self-care protocol. If you could abolish one thing in the world, what would it be? Uh, slavery. What is your favourite book? This one, Influence, Robert Giovini. What are you secretly good at other than NLP that nobody knows? Uh, very, very strong weight training. Uh, what would you like to be remembered for? Uh, making a difference in the world for PTSD and trauma and changing the way mental health uh, is in the UK and the world. What is your biggest goal this year? To get on television. Your favourite colour? Blue. If you could relive one day again, what day would it be? Probably go back to my cross-country days when I was a kid because I don't think I enjoyed it at the time, but I, I should have. The ability to fly or be invisible? That's a tough one. Probably invisible. Because I could read people in this day. <laughs> Absolutely. Make your job a little bit easier, actually, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the number one thing that annoys you? Cockiness and rudeness. Your favourite food? Italian and Indian. Would you rather speak all languages or be able to speak to animals? Oh, that is mad. Animals, I think. Animals. That would... That would be a game changer just to see how their brains work. Absolutely. Dr. Doolittle in the flesh. Yeah. And finally, what song best describes your life? I think it's uh, that one by the script. Hall of Fame, that's it. Yeah, Hall of Fame, yeah. That's a brilliant one. Okay, fantastic. So that's the end of the fun part of the show. Just two more questions, if I may. Very, very quick ones, Nick. So the next one's about hindsight and reflection. So I'm a firm believer that in hindsight, we can learn ways to get to where we are quicker, easier, with less heartache. But I also believe the journey teaches us so much as well in order to get to where we are as well. So knowing what you know now, if maybe you could go back to a time of difficulty in your life for yourself, a younger Nick, and you could whisper something in a younger Nick's ears, what would you say? Yeah, that's really important. I would say to that person, because I had a lot of people around me that made me doubt myself and made me not believe in myself. And I would say to that younger person, just trust in yourself, believe and, and work hard. Don't listen to anybody else. Uh, you know, seek out mentors, seek out wisdom, but don't. And this is the thing when people offer you unsolicited advice, most of the time it's nonsense and it's, it's, it's worthless. So if people give you advice and you've not asked for it, ignore it. It's what the first thing I do. But when people, when you seek advice from somebody good, listen to it all day long and trust yourself, really believe and trust, trust your gut. I remember, remember your post the other day about saving 300,000 pounds. And I felt like saying to you, Aaron, you were a lot cleverer and a lot better than you know. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. Trust yourself. And your streets ahead, your streets ahead of that person because they're a narcissist and that narcissists are very fragile and they can break. They're like balloons because, you know, they say an inflated ego because it's, but you can pop it, boom, it goes. Whereas we're made of rock, we're made yeah, of stone. Absolutely. We might not be massive, you know. Look, look as big as them but we're made of stone you can't you can't reduce us down we're going to keep growing absolutely mate we, we've got that thing we've got our superpower which is graft 
and we'll just continue going yeah. mate that's it yeah absolutely thank you for that and then finally nick the last question is about legacy and if yeah. in 150 years time science fails to save us all and all that exists is a book and this book is about you it's about your life it's about all of the amazing and wonderful things that you've done that impact that you wanted on the world firstly what would the title of the book be and secondly what would the summary at the back tell us about you so probably the title would be blasting your past and it would be how i created the blast technique to blast people's traumas and ptsd and how it was a life-changing revolutionary new technique that everybody embraced and it was world-changing which it is and the back of the book would say about how i'm like i think kev said and you've said how i'm not naturally a skillful person i have to work hard at everything i do i'm not a lucky person but i have a tremendous work ethic i'm obsessed whenever i start things i'm passionate i have a real love of people i love engaging with people helping people um and yeah, just to be remembered for those things, I think, you know, that I made a difference. Well, you've made a massive, massive difference today, Nick. So I extend my hand and thank you so much from the bottom of my thank, heart. Thank you. What is the best place people can reach out to you? So you mentioned the website earlier. Uh, you're on Instagram, Facebook. If you could just give all your handles and I'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah. So they're all pretty easy. So my website is www.ndhypnotherapy.com. On Twitter and Instagram, it's ndhypnotherapy. Um, on Facebook, it's Nick Davis, Hypnotherapy, NLP and Life Coaching. Um, you can also find out more at the, about the Blast Technique at www.blast-technique.com. If you're interested in my sports work, it's www.ndsp.co.uk. And if you're interested in training to be a therapist or you want to learn any of the techniques that I use, my training school, the Warwickshire School of Hypnotherapy, which is www wsoh.co.uk you've got a good memory there mate <laughs> what i'm yeah. going to do is put all of those in the show notes and make sure that you've got straight access to those nick thank you once again from the bottom of my heart and for everyone else at home thanks for listening thanks for having me on and remember this podcast is absolutely free so all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on itunes have an awesome day